Okay, we're live. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm I'm here with my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement. What's up, Bill Cannon? Feeling good, man. I did a little uh, promo today for my show on the 6th with uh, Tommy Dades and Larry Mazza. So I did a promo with uh, Phil Grimaldi, who is a Brooklyn guy that knows all about the mob and stuff. And so we're psyched for that show. So uh, this is my second time on the air today, so people are going to get sick of me. Yeah, I saw you <laughs> on there earlier today. I saw you I saw you on there live. Uh, you uh, Listen, since you brought it up, I'll mention it. Um, i to give you a lot of credit. You know, Bill, he was a homicide sergeant in Manhattan North for a reason. You know, the guy works hard, and uh, he's, he's responsible for getting these guests. And uh, we have a great one tonight. I'm so, so excited to have him on. He's a retired NYPD sergeant. He wrote a book. He's an author. It's called Alphaville, 1988. Um, he was a narcotics cop in Alphabet City. He had a $50,000 bounty on his head at one time. Um, not only that, but he's also a third-degree black belt in Renzo uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. He has an academy. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's in Staten Island. It's called Cadella Academy. Um, let's welcome, uh, folks, Mike, a.k.a. Rambo Cadella. What's up? <laughs> How are you? Thanks, Mark. Thank you, uh, Bill. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's great so to be you know, How long have you been doing jiu-jitsu? Uh, from probably the late to mid uh, 1990s. Wow. Yeah. That's I was a painful at- sport, right? <laughs> I mean, you got banged up pretty good, yeah. I mean, I was looking at pictures of you. He's the like he he looks like such a fighter, like he has the body of a fighter. I I watch UFC all the time, and you know they do this thing where they got you in a lock, and then they start doing this thing with their foot where they just start kicking you on the back, pow pow pow, like in your ribs. The guy who's on top, he has those feet. Like he has those feet that if he if he hits you right here, it would hurt a lot, man. (laughs) You look like uh, I would never. How tall are you? I'm not. I'm like five seven, five eight. I'm six foot four. I would never mess with you. (laughs) I would never mess with you. Two hundred and fifty (laughs) pounds. Mike, how do you prevent the cauliflower ear? There's no really preventing it, to be honest. So you got some of it, right? I got some of it, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's you know the what? thing. If, if you're online for a club and someone sees the cauliflower, yeah, I heard they they won't even let you in these days. I think let you <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting. But you know what? They wear it like a badge of honor. They love oh, you, yeah. right? Don't they? I mean, yeah, it's sad. You know, it's something you earn, basically. Yeah, you don't get them for uh, – but really, all it means is that you got you got swashed a lot of times. That's all it really means. But isn't it from rubbing on the mat? Yeah, well, rubbing or, or another part of a body against you or, or an elbow or forearm, something rubbing against you. A lot you. of sweat going on, right? Yeah. Hugging another dude? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't do it. We got, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old school dude. I'm three punches in. That's <laughs> it. That's not trouble. But if it goes past three punches, I, want, I don't want no more part of it. Listen, it's over. Let me just buy you a beer. What happened to those fights? Back in the day, where you could just get in two two punches. Now the guy wants to get on top of you and in front of all my friends. <laughs> a whole different game. Yeah, yeah, it's different, man. I love it. I watch it all the time. Uh, you were a narcotics cop, and uh, you wrote this book, Alphaville. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so I was assigned to Alphabet City. Uh, I was a housing cop assigned to Alphabet City. 
first in plain clothes and then in a, a special unit called the Operation 8. And what that was was a federally funded uh, unit that basically had these the worst projects in the Low East Side, the eight worst projects in the Low East Side, Walt Houses, Reese Houses, Baruch Houses, Gompers, um, highest crime rate, highest drug uh, drug related crimes, and so I was one of four cops assigned to that to that unit originally. Do you know uh, Bobby Geis? I do know Bobby. Yeah, he's in the chat. He said to say hello to you. He said you're a sweetheart of a guy. And he's a good, real good detective. Oh, yeah, also Tommy D said hello, too. He's watching tonight. Oh, me and Tommy got some mutual friends. Where are you from? You're from Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm from Canarsie, Brooklyn. You grew you up got a, a You bit. got a lot of uh, old wise guy stories, too, right? I do. A lot of old yeah, wise Give us a couple of wise guy stories. Everyone loves those stories. Okay. Uh, uh <laughs> Let me think of one. All right, so I'll give you a, a couple, actually. So one was uh, Bruno Facciola. He was an old-time... Uh, hey, take it easy with the long names, all right? Bruno Facciola, was, he's actually one of the girls from uh, Mob Wives, his uncle. Of course, this is predates that, but that's who he was. And he was a well-known wise guy uh, from Brooklyn. So... We were, me and my friends, when we were like 17, 16, 17, we were hanging out outside his pizzeria. We didn't know it was his pizzeria. And we didn't actually know who he was. We just knew who, we just knew the name Bruno. Everybody in Canarsie basically knew Bruno. Um, and some old Italian guy comes out and he tells us, move away from the front of his pizzeria. And we were like, yeah, you know, we'll move when, when we're ready to move. <laughs> when we're ready to move. And we stayed there a little while long and he came out again and he asked us to move. Again, we didn't move, but I moved. I said, you know what? I'm leaving. I have something to do. I'm, me and one of my friends left. The rest of my friends stayed. The next time he comes out with a baseball bat and he tried <laughs> to beat up my four pretty tough friends. You know, my friends are 16, 17 years old. He's an older guy. What do they do? They take the bat away from him and they end up throwing a beating on this older guy. Uh -oh. oh, what a mistake, right? Yeah. So now word gets out who he was. And basically, he was looking for my friends. And two of the guys that were involved with these two brothers, um, whose father was actually Vicar Muso. I'm sorry, his godfather, their godfather was Vicar Muso, who turned, who eventually becomes the head of the Lucchese family. But at that point, he was just a, a soldier in the Lucchese family. And of course, he knew Bruno. Uh, so he says he's going to settle it for the brothers. And basically, he'll settle it for everybody else. He'll swash it. Well, he doesn't squash anything. What eventually, yeah. what eventually happens is one of my friends on the way to work gets cut off. He was a construction guy, construction kid, actually. The boss used to give him the truck to bring home. He gets up at 5 o'clock like most construction guys, gets in his car, puts the radio on, goes to work. Car gets cut off. A couple of guys come out, and they shoot up the car, the, the truck, with sawed-off shotguns. And he gets hit in the leg. He, he survives, but he takes he, – he limped – Basically, for the rest of his life. The other two guys is going. There's going to be a sit down to squash the beef. Vic is going to set up a sit down for them. When they go to the sit down on the way there, they get jumped and they get beaten really bad. One guy has a plane in his head, uh, and the other guy was just beat to a pulp with the bat that, with the original baseball bat that uh, 
Bruno came out of came out of the oh, fight. Wow, wow. Uh, and another one, one of the other guys just took off. One of my other friends just took off. He he stayed on the land for a long time. And the other guy that was there, we assumed that he was the guy that gave everybody up because nobody knew who our names at the time. One of the guys, according to what we what he had said, was his Corvette. His old man had some money and some juice also. He had a Corvette, and supposedly the Corvette got blown up. And that was his, you know, how they paid him back. But probably not. He probably is the one that actually dropped the dime on, on everybody. It's good that you left that day, huh? Oh, yeah. I was really lucky. Me and my other friend were really lucky to have left. There's people that walk around like that with a little halo over them. They, I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> I guess they're meant to do better things, I guess. Hey, uh, what about – didn't you live like two blocks away from uh, the uh, – Bamboo Lounge? Good, good fellas, that, the Bamboo Hut, uh, that, that, that rest, uh, the bar that yeah. they owned. Yeah, the Bamboo Lounge. Like two blocks away from that? Yep. I used to watch the fire engines go there once a month to put the fires out. That uh, <laughs> character used to like. <laughs> why? Why were they putting it on fire so much? Because they used to collect the insurance, like it says in the movie. They burned the place up. <laughs> in the movie, it looks like they just do it once, but they Nothing. did it a lot. Yeah, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, I'd be in my back window, in my bedroom window, and I literally watch them fire trucks go down the block and know everybody was stopping. Holy cow! They only make it see, in the movie. It looks like they did it once, just to uh, clean up, and that's it. But they just kept that's fucking that's hysterical. Yeah, crazy. Hey, uh, didn't you have a bounty on your head too, like fifty thousand dollar bounty? We did, and what happened was that's kind of a funny story. So, um, there was a bank robbery or uh, a series of bank robberies, and and some detectives from up north. Um, Manhattan North or Manhattan South. It had to be Manhattan North. Um, we're interviewing a, one, uh, a guy who had some information on the bank robberies or supposedly had some information on the bank robberies. And they were interviewing him with an FBI agent also because the FBI was involved with the investigation because it was a bank. Uh, during the course of the investigation, during the course of the interview of this informant, he turned to the, the informant turned to the, uh, the cops and the FBI agent, and he said, "Listen, that's a, that's about all I know about the bank rob the bank robberies, but I do know that there were two cops on the Lower East Side, and he names me my partner by our nicknames, and there's a fifty thousand dollar contract on their head." He said, "And the reason is because me and my partner, according to him, is what he said, they're up to no good, meaning we were shaking people down, which of course we weren't, but that was always the." Whenever, I don't got to tell you guys, you know that, but whenever uh, a perp wants to step off for money, they say, oh, yeah, they took our money. The cop took our money, and they get away with it. But in any event, he said that there was basically a $50,000 contract on us. And um, FBI FBI agent scooped them up, took them out of the room because he thought there might be some, uh, you know, proprieties of him talking about corruption in front of a PD cop, and he took the guy out of the room. But one of the cops there, I actually knew because I had picked up a few perps from him in the past. So I'm one of the detectives, actually. So he came and he met me and my partner downtown. And he told us what, what transpired. And then it got word to the chief. And the chief transferred us from, for, for a couple of months from Low East Side to Manhattan, to Manhattan North up in uh, Harlem. And the, literally the first day we were in Harlem in plain clothes, 
The chief gave us our own car. He said, don't get involved with nothing. Just stay low. You know, <laughs> behave yourselves. I don't want to hear any shit going on. Just relax. The first day we're there, we see one of the main dealers that supposedly put the contract on us. He had a spot up in Harlem. He was checking on his home, on his home spot. Wow. So, yeah, you can't get, you know, you can't get away. Now, did you have any problems back then with the internal affairs? Oh, forget it. Constantly. They actually, when we when we eventually went into the DEA, they were uh, following us, actually following me home at times. And I went to the DEA supervisor and I said, listen, you know, these DEA, DEA IAB guys are going to fuck this investigation up if they're following me. And he went to uh, whatever chief or whoever you went to. And he had... At Let's least just call him Chief Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then at least for a while, stop. Yeah, yeah, that sucks, right? Oh, I'm trying to do your job, and these guys are checking your white socks. Right? You know what's funny is that, um, you know, when you work in these neighborhoods, sometimes the streets they give you names. Like you were Rambo. Why? What, they used to call you Rambo, and your partner was uh, Babyface, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe yeah, they, put a, they put a mural up for you guys, right? Yeah, they painted a mural of us. Well, you know, uh, they painted a mural and they said our name basically. Beware of Babyface and Rambo. Uh, they'll get you some, something, something to that effect. Yeah. Was Ooh. the mural as good as this on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't bad. The guy Chico from Low East Side found like a well known graffiti artist. He uh, did. Well, how did you get Rambo though? I mean, you know, sometimes you have to chase guys and smack them around. <laughs> and, you do have almost like a Sylvester Stallone look about you. Yeah, well, that's what they said. That's, you know, that was, <laughs> what they, that was that's great, man. They used to call him Rambo. And we Mike, have uh, who, are these, who are these guys that are on the screen? So this was years later when I was in the uh, Secret Service Task Force. They were uh, Secret Service agents. Wow. They look like they're from the Midwest, the two tall white guys. Right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Biff and Chad Donaldson from uh, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good guys, though. Secret Service are good guys, man. When did you what, – what, you said you got out in 2003? 2003, yeah. Did you go right into the jujitsu school business or what? Um, I did a little private security, executive security for a short period of time. Um, and then I basically opened my own, my own, uh, jujitsu academy. Yeah. Hey, you know what, man, tell me a story about when you opened up somebody's head real nice. But it's like, you know, every once in a while you run, run into that person and they just, they don't know for some reason. I have a theory that there's some people that go out and they just want to get punched in the face. It's not, not that they're really looking for fights. I had a friend like that. I grew up with him. And he wasn't a good fighter at all, but he had a wise mouth. And he'd always get beat up. And then one day it just dawned on me. He doesn't, he's not really looking to fight. He just wants somebody to beat him up. <laughs> he likes the look of it. Yeah, yeah. He likes to get, he likes to get punched in his face. <laughs> but I'm sure that, tell us a story about a time that somebody uh, just didn't get it. They didn't, they didn't understand. And he had to educate him. Well, I mean, you know, back when we were back in the low East when we were, you know, back then we could get away with, you know, you had to straighten a guy up for misbehaving. If you don't straighten a perp up years ago, I'm sure you guys know it as well as I do. Then the next cop that deals with this guy is going to have a hard time. 
hundred percent. Imagine how hard it is to be a cop now that you can't straighten them out. Forget it. I can't even imagine. Really, yeah. everything's on video. You know. Yeah, terrible. I remember they used to come by the cops, and we used to hang out in this corner because you were talking about hanging out in front of the place there. Uh, we used to hang out in front of this pizzeria, and I guess at some point we were making too much noise, and and they'd call the cops, the neighbors, and they they would drive by, and he would roll the window down this much, and he go. Hey fellas, take a walk. And then we would just we would take a walk. And then for some reason on this particular night, my friend Tommy was like dragging ass. I you know, we were probably we were probably like he was probably messed up on something, but he was real slow to to get walking. And they went around the block and they came back and uh <laughs> he was still there. And they uh just one shot in the back of the head. I, back then, they used to use these things. Uh, remember when they gave them to you in the academy too? Lead thing. Well, slappers. The housing used to have those slappers yeah. all the time. And uh, so then he started bleeding from the back of his head. Somebody he took his t-shirt off. He wrapped it around his head. We took the boombox that we had, and then we walked to Ten Park because we were in the we were in the story. We walked to Ten Park. We looked like. Um, the, the you know 19 uh, 1776 with yeah. the blue box like this my friend opened up <laughs> and that's what it was man they just told you to take a walk you took a walk otherwise you were uh I, my first my first call i'll tell you my first call with my fto uh we walk into the front of a building on 20th and remember in, i started in coney island so it was on 23rd street between uh right off of mermaid avenue 2346 West 23rd Street was the address. My first colleague, we walk up to the front of the building. There's a bunch of young guys hanging out, like early 20s, late teens. They see me, the FTO, and two other, you know, rookie cops. Everybody moves except one guy, about a 19-year-old kid. Everybody walks away. He doesn't move. My FTO says, Mike, lock him up. I was like, what? He says, lock him up. I said, all right. I said, turn around, put your hands behind your back. Took, turned, he turned around, put his hands behind his back, locked him up. He had a bicycle there. The FTO said, don't worry about the bike. One of you guys stayed, told one of the guys, come here, take this bike and get it out of here. Put the guy in the car. We get him to the station house. I'm like, fuck, man. Sal, what, what, what this? I actually felt bad. I'm like, Sal, what did the guy do? He said, let me tell you something. This guy has seen me, meaning him, my FTO, has seen me a hundred times. Every time he comes, he knows he has to move. Today he's seen us and he doesn't move. He's got to go. He's going to jail. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. I still felt bad. I was like, all right. What are we? Discount. All right. As we check for warrants, the guy had a bunch of fucking warrants on him. All kinds of robbery, assault. He was a, he was a perp. Perp who was testing us, but he didn't move. He got arrested. And that's how you, you know, obviously that's how you get more than just a bullshit discount. Guy was a wanted, wanted friggin' fellow. Could you imagine, Mike, now that I don't even want you to use the word perp, you know? I used the word mutt on here a few weeks ago, and someone asked in the chat, what does mutt mean? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, Mike, do you remember in Manhattan Central Booking where the feet were, where you put your feet to get your picture taken as a perp, it said mope. Remember that? <laughs> I was like, imagine today if they had that there, they'd have the ACLU there taking pictures and suing. You know? Ridiculous. Crazy, man. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, somebody would take a picture of that for sure. Look what it says. It says mope. <laughs> Who do we got on with us tonight? Um, so let's take a look. 
We, you mentioned Bob Geis. Mike locked up a guy in a Santa Claus suit around Christmas time near Rockefeller Center. Why'd you do that, Mike? <laughs> we would, we were, um, we would, they were scam, they were scamming individuals into believing that they were working for, uh, I forgot what organization, yeah, uh, the, Red Cross, Army, probably, right? the Red Cross or something. I forgot. Salvation and, Army? Salvation Army, maybe. Yeah, that might, that's yeah. it. And what they were doing is they, they wouldn't let us lock them up unless, unless they, unless they actually said that they were working for the Salvation Army, even though they had the, all the apparatus, the bell and all that shit. But if they didn't say who they were supposedly working for, it wasn't a collar. So I think I was with, probably with Bobby and, and walked up to the guy and I said, well, I took the money out. Like I was, I said, who are you working for? Who is this for? And he said, Red Cross. I said, okay, there you go. I was saying he was just in Santa Claus outfit. Mike, there's the cover of your book. What What's the status of your book right now as far as being made into a TV show, a movie, whatever? Um, That's actually the European cover. Uh, that's it, it was published in Europe. That um, The book was optioned three times. Um, Trebekah, De Niro studio optioned it years ago, and then um, it didn't obviously it didn't get made. It was it was uh, optioned for I think Showtime, um, but it obviously didn't get made. And then twice after that. So currently, um, as of about a year and a half, two years ago, I own I own the rights again. So, so are you pitching it again to other places? Or I mean, I've been a, I've, I hate to say I've been in negotiations, but I've been speaking to a couple of companies. So yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody that comes across and really wants to, you know, do something with it, yeah, absolutely, it's available. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough racket to get uh, something made. You know, I wrote for a show. I was the p- police consultant on the show. Uh, this guy wrote the show Monk. Monk won Emmys. I mean, like every I, fucking year. Was a good show. Yeah, and the um, and well, Andy, Andy Andy hired me as the police consultant. It was a ground ball, man. It was a good. The thing was going to get made. It was greenlit from the beginning. It was <laughs> Andy Breckman. It was going, we were going, and then all of a sudden, right when we get to, uh, we're closing out writing the seventeenth episode. Um, they they got another head of the studio, and then he didn't like. Uh, he wanted the show uh, the show in a different format. And they got rid of everybody, and he stayed on as a consultant. But it was like we were freaking this close, man. Oh, I would have well, been. Well, uh, Lieutenant Pete Pranzo, who's watching with his wife Richella, he's got a book out called The Harlem Raiders, and he's he's dealt with that stuff too. A lot of people wanted to do something with it, and uh, he's been waiting for a long time. You know. Yeah, it's a tough, tough business. Yeah, it is. But uh, especially now uh, with the anti-cop. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, you know that show live, uh, PD live, whatever. It's uh, yeah. it's supposed to be coming back. They don't, I, 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 they don't have a date yet, but I guess they're just they're waiting it out. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying they're like, wait, when's a nice time? They're like doing double dutch. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when's a good time to jump back in? And the whole thing is everybody's like so scared, man. It's, it's like just do you, man. Yeah. Let them complain. I never understood what the big problem is. People complain. Let them complain. You don't have to watch. That's all. And my book is so anti, uh, it's not anti-cop, but 
first of all, it's very honest and it doesn't make cops look like Superman or, or say, obviously myself, especially, it doesn't make me look like anything but a regular person. It doesn't make me look like a hero or a straight, you know, straight, 100% by the book guy. So it's, you know, it's, it shouldn't really be on the out, on the outs with people that are like not 100% pro cop because the book's not 100% pro cop. Yeah, well, it, it all has to do with anything that has to do with cop. Yeah. If the word cop in it, they want to abolish that from the language. But it, then again, it's like, listen, it's we're in the, we're in a, a moment uh, a, mom, a moment in time right now. Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> we're going to come back to sanity. You hope so. Anyway, we can't sustain this. You know what I'm saying? This is not the way the world works. So, yeah. you, you know, know uh, cop film, or they used to call it detective film, is a whole genre that goes back to like. 17 1800s there's no way they're ever getting rid of that all no, these canceled people all these canceled people are going to get canceled themselves look at as soon, no but as soon as people start standing up to these assholes they'll we disappear cop shows but they have cop shows about the navy like ncis what are those those are cops in the navy right. all investigate. so it's so like yeah but mark hollywood crumbles like the bitches they are and that's why you know, a lot of this stuff money. won't get made at the end you know? of the day, if you're making a movie uh, and it's going to make money you know, you know people uh, people will produce it and if it doesn't you know even look at the superhero genre there has to be a good and bad they can't, they can't be like uh you know superman batman they're good against right. bad you know so well, those are the only movies really making money now are the superhero. Uh, I forgot what actor said that the only movies getting made are superhero movies and movies with a number at the end of it. In other words, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a third movie, but nothing can get nothing's getting made. Yeah, and they're good too, man. I, I was watching one last night, and uh, the one with the uh, Thanos, and I was like, wow, this is this is actually pretty good. I, I don't watch them really, but I just happened to. Uh, to catch it, I thought it was pretty good, but they'll never get rid of the cop genre. It's just something that's ingrained in our, you know, it's that's the the story of good and evil. That's yeah. what it is. So, Mike, you were talking about the whole scene that uh, we I was on the job the same time as you, and I remember pressure point and uh, up in uh, Harlem, it was in the two eight precinct two five two three three two, and on the Lower East Side, which an alphabet city had a huge heroin and cocaine problem back then. Uh, you want to talk, talk a little bit about what you did back then during Operation Pressure Point? I mean, Operation Pressure Point basically was uh, initiated. And what it did was it took anybody that made any color, regardless of what it was, jaywalking or drinking in public or beating up, uh, getting an assault, a family assault, whatever the arrest was, the person had to go through the system. So it didn't matter what, what it was. They went, went through the system. The problem was, as far as the NYPD was concerned, they didn't let uniform, which didn't apply to me because I was a housing cop. Uh, that's why we were able to make so many drug calls because uniform, they, wouldn't, they still, as bad as the heroin problem was, I said it, I talk about it in, my, in the book, how uh, a guy could be walking down Avenue D with a needle in his arm and the PD guys weren't allowed to take him. They didn't want NYPD locking up drug collars, which was obviously ridiculous. Um, they had a cop on every corner as a deterrent, but they weren't allowed to make drug collars. 
So it was well, that, that all that all went back to the whole thing of uh, the corruption exactly. involved with narcotics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, it's coming back now. That's the same exact thing. They don't want you making drug collars now. Right. And on, comes- the, uh, on the screen is the map of Alphabet City. And uh, you can see the East Village and Alphabet City, the Avenue ABCD. And uh, that's where Mike uh, made his bones back in the day. <laughs> that was like the biggest heroin. Heroin capital of the world. Yep. They come from all over. You, you would get guys from all over all over the country just to get their dope there. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, what was in the – I think it was John Mack. What was his wife's name? Uh, she got caught. She got caught down there. A lot of people got caught down there. A lot of famous people got caught down oh, yeah. there. Eric Roberts. We locked up Eric Roberts. Put him in the cell, and he was a real pain in the ass. We put a star. We, we drew a star. We put on the cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, yeah, you know, up in the two eight years ago, one of the Kennedys, Robert F. Kennedy's son, who was a heroin addict, right? He got collared up in the two eight, and then they, I don't know, phone calls were made, and they were whisking him here, whisking him there. But that son wind up, uh, I think, dying of a drug yeah. overdose. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The main, we had a Maytag relative uh, died overdosed in the project by us. Yeah. Hey, uh, Thomas Dangelo says Mike is is the real deal. Amazing jujitsu instructor and leader. Every cop should be attending his classes. Yeah, man, that's what I was trying to say in the beginning, man. It's just the whole the whole package is just incredible. Um, you know, it, that's that's uh, it just goes to show you what it takes to be uh, on the street as a cop, especially back then. And these guys that came on the job now, and they because a lot of them that, that are on the job now, they came on the job because uh, oh, you know, I want to be different than all these other cops that were on here before. I want to show them how it could be done. And now they're in the thick of it right now. They just came over all these protests, and now you're going to go into. Uh, basically a crime zone because that's what it's going to be. It's going to go back. It's it's already on its way back to being the way it used to be. They're going to be real cops. And that wasn't the plan. Well, you know something I always thought, and Mike, uh, you probably can uh, advise more on this. I think cops should be trained uh, much better in self-defense and jujitsu because it looks so in unintrusive. Like you could be really inflicting a lot of pain, but no one watching in the crowd or video videoing it knows that you're inflicting that amount of pain and it gets the perp to comply. And I think, you know, one of the things we've discussed on the show is whenever a cop does something that's wrong or perceived wrong by the public, uh, politicians always say, oh, they need more training, but they don't mean that. They don't want to spend the dime on training. And you know that to be true because there's no reason New York City cops should only go to the range twice a year. You should be going four or six times a year. And they do not want to spend money on training. Years ago, when Anamon was chief of department, he sent all plain clothes to anti-crime training. I had already been in anti-crime for like five years, but I thought it was a great idea to train. No one was ever trained. Your training in anti-crime was on the job, on the street training. Right. right. What do you think about giving cops jujitsu training? Listen, I mean, they, they send them to the academy. First of all, they come out of the academy um, with such limited, li- you know, with such limited knowledge, useful knowledge. We and we all know that whether it's because it's not, it doesn't pertain to the street for, for the physical aspect or even the uh, 
you know, even the everyday mundane police work. Um, but then when you when you come out of the academy, I think they send you once for certain training, maybe ass training or some other training or plain clothes training. But it's it's so minimal, and it's like you said, it should be a couple of times a month. They should send cops, <clears throat> but like you said, they don't want to pay for a cop to be off the street in in a in a gym working out. Well, at least they should pay for their membership to a gym or, you know, like it should be if you, if you uh, whatever the school is that they want to go to that's in their neighborhood on their own time and it could count for something for the job. So and they pay for it. So if you want to go to jujitsu, if you want to go to a boxing school, if you want to go to uh, work out at L.A. Fitness, whatever it is, you know, the job picks it up. You, you're doing like, let's say, for example, you need to do a certain amount of hours of physical fitness. You don't have to do it on their time, but you do it on your time, but they pick it up. That's the way it should be done. Mark, do you want to do this? Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> Listen up, guys and gals. We are sponsored by the best hot sauce in the world. Silk City Hot Sauce is made in small batches with pure ingredients. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle of Silk City Hot Sauce. There are several flavors from mild to wild. Um, please go to the website, silkcityhotsauce.com. And put in the uh, the it's a coupon code. You'll save fifteen percent. It's OTC for off the cuff. OTC for off the cuff. And trust me, I'm telling you. I if you can tell by my face, I'm thinning out, man. I'm getting ready for the summer. COVID didn't get me. I'm going to be in better shape. I lost already ten pounds, and uh, I'm on the diet. And uh, the only thing that brings me any enjoyment in my food is when I get a chance to put a couple of dashes of flavor into my bland food and those dashes of flavor are, uh, come from silk city hot sauce wow i really want to buy it now <laughs> <laughs> you know just a, a little commercial here folks if you're not uh, a subscriber on our youtube please subscribe hit the bell so we need uh more youtube fans this is also live on facebook we're doing pretty well on facebook but that doesn't help us out at all we need to get fans on youtube so, please, if you're not a subscriber on YouTube, please do so. We are police off the cuff. We're doing a lot of different stuff. If, uh, Pam Leone's on the air, our old our old producer. How are you, Pam? Good to see Hi, you. Hi, Pam. Good to see you How watching us. Thanks. For uh, so, Thank yeah, you. we have we also have a Patreon, and uh, for there's three tiers. First one for seven dollars a month. You're the bucket. For nine dollars a month, you get to polish my rack, and for eleven dollars a month. You get to dip them in butter, whatever you want to dip in butter. But you get extra content, and you get all of our content, and you get to uh, make sure Mark and I don't starve, and we can buy Silk City hot sauce. <laughs> hey, Mimi uh, J2 says, how strict is the weight issue? Because I see cops so heavy, they can't even run. <laughs> well, there is no – I don't think there is one. There should be one. But – wow, I, this is, I'm sorry. I apologize, folks. Uh, but the truth is, you can't do it because what are you going to do? You got to uh, sideline these guys. You got to make them get in shape. It, it's uh, there should be, don't you think so, Bill? Mike, absolutely. You know something? I don't know if you saw that video. Where it was from another police department uh, down south, and a, a a real fat cop got into it with this female, and he he just was in horrendous physical shape, and she wound up shooting him. 
and he shot her and killed her after she got back. But anyway, the whole thing, the whole stop, everything about what he did was incorrect uh, in the eyes of a tactically sound cop. But the problem was when he tried to grab her, he weighed like 400 pounds. And he couldn't, I don't think he could have physically even got her cuffed if she resisted. Did you see that one, Mike? I did see it. I saw, I didn't see the whole thing, but I did see part of it. It was, uh, it's frustrating to watch something like that. Well, you know, the feds, what they do is they make their uh, agents, at least some of the agencies that I've worked with, take a test every year. And the test isn't like super difficult, but I mean, it's like you got to either walk or run a mile in a certain time. And it's not like a crazy, uh, marathon speed time but it's got to be in some kind of shape you have to do x amount of uh, push-ups or sit-ups and again it's not like crazy numbers but it's just something that shows that you're at least aware that you have to be in some kind of physical condition like you don't have your your life your life could depend on your physical condition let me tell you something man i i used to do um before it was called mma i used to do this uh jikun do right Right. It was Bruce Lee's style, the style with no style. I used to go to school, and it was uh, every class you could tie. There was tie in, in one hour. I used to stay for all of them, Kali, um, Kempo, you name it, man. I was, And this is when I was on the job. And I was fierce, man. I was like, I was fierce. It, it just felt like so amazing. You're not worried about a physical confrontation. That's the problem. It's your job. You should be able to handle yourself. And take care of your partner. The, the last thing I would ever think about would be going to my – I was so good with my hands, I never thought about going to my gun. Right. Like the only time I would go to my gun is if I saw a gun. I see a lot of times that these people are pulling their guns out, and it's just a physical confrontation. I, I talk about that in the book. I mean, you pull your gun, and the bad guy says, what are you going to do, shoot me? And then what do you do, stick the gun, stick the gun back in your holster? Or what are you going to do? If the guy tells you go fuck yourself, now what? There's a lot of videos like that where the person's putting their gun back in their holster. That's me and Hensel Gracie. Oh, wow. That's okay. <laughs> That's no joke. It's amazing. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a legend. Yeah, man, they um, they have the most. The Gracies have the most amount of champions in a, in one coming out of one family. Yeah, well, they've they've fighting really. Oh, here, here we go. What is this? This is your school. Oh yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, that's some video some of the guys put up. That's my son. Wow. Yeah. How old is your son? I got two. One is uh, 25 and the other is uh, 22. And I have a 23-year-old daughter. That's uh, pretty tough. Yeah, I'm, in the, I'm in the same range. I think Bill's, a, Bill's a, a, like a couple years older, but we're all in the same range with the kids. Yeah, man. If, if you're on the job and this is your job, you got to protect yourself. You have to be in the best shape you can possibly be in. I, yeah. I have a lot of cops who train with me. And they should, and they should, and it should be, the, the job should pay for it. And they should have a log of when you go, and it should count, like, uh, I don't know, what, I don't know how to fit. It should just, yeah. it should just be, um, you know, part of your job, part of you, you get your training done on your own time. Hey, Pam said you're from Staten, Italy. 
That's funny. But hey, so how is that? How many students do you have attend your school? I have about 150 students. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a good, like I said, I got a good percentage of cops and firemen, sanitation. I got, you know, a lot of good city workers, hardworking guys, you know? Wow. They should, they really should make cops take jujitsu. I swear to God. I think that that should be. Uh... I think it's coming. I think it's coming. I think, uh, because, like you said, it's a way to handle yourself. They took away every single possible thing that you could, you know. When you came out of the academy, they used to, you, you came out with, like, 25 different weapons. <laughs> the thing that I mentioned, that thing that you hit with somebody, that lead thing, there was this little tiny baton. There was a – you had the regular nightstick. Um, you just had so many different – The man flashlight. you out there with. And uh, it was up to you what you put on your belt, but – and then they took away everything. They took away everything. And you don't show these people how to fight. No. And the only the weapon they have is the gun. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's it goes from zero to freaking a thousand percent in one shot. Well, Bill, didn't that guy that you were talking about down south, the heavy, the heavy set guy, didn't he try to the tase, taser that girl? He did taser her, and it didn't work. It didn't and work. She, you know, she, he was... Uh, Applying the taser to her body too, and it still didn't work. You so, know, so it depends on what drugs you're on too. You know, if you're on um, certain drugs, you're not going to feel the taser. It's well, she was fact. she was a heavy set girl, and you know she was uh, she was probably <laughs> doing drugs. And, it probably uh, penetrate. The laser didn't <laughs> can only go through uh, yeah. three inches of flesh. <laughs> I mean. But I don't think he did wrong. He, he he didn't want. He couldn't hit her. He probably knew he couldn't hit her physically. He probably wasn't capable. And then again, he probably didn't want to be caught hitting her. So he took the gun. What else? What else was his option? No, no. But you know something like his tactics were horrendous. He let her go back into the car three times. Oh. I would have taken the keys, shut the door, put that elephant to the back of the car, right. and I would have cuffed her right away because she was playing possum. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would have cuffed her right away because she was in a car that was wanted for five felony warrants. Oh. There's an old expression, birds of the feather flock together. She was not a good guy, a good person right. driving a felon's car. You know what I mean? Right. Hey, you know what I just thought about it? Uh, the, I don't know how the book starts, your book starts, but in order to make it uh, um, on TV, the way it had to start would be you be in the streets with all these kids that all of them got connections, uh, they're, they're all mobbed up, and somehow you become a cop. And then the next thing you know, you're working in Alphabet City. You know what I'm saying? That's the way – I don't know. Is that the way your story starts? It actually start, – well, it kind of goes to when I'm – it, it kind of goes back and forth between me being a kid, uh, doing stupid shit with these – you know, with the, with the guys who's connected, uh, whose fathers are connected, and – to being a cop down the lower east side. But the actual first story is a pretty crazy story. We were working at midnight, me and my partner, in uniform. First we worked uniform together, then we worked playing clothes together. We were working at midnight, and uh, these two guys were walking, drinking a beer. It must have been like 2, 3 in the morning. And uh, a white guy pulled, walks up behind them with a bat. And like, I don't, don't got to tell you guys how fast, how fast shit goes bad, right? And within a second... He batted this guy in the head so hard he knocked his eyeball out of his head. Wow. wow. And the eyeball went flying right out of the guy's head. 
And it was birthday. And so, of course, we collared him. He hit them both. He hit the one guy, and the eye went flying out of the head. And then he hit the other guy. And we got him. We grabbed him. Um, of course, we didn't shoot him. We just, you know, manhandled him, took him down. And, of course, like everything else in Alphabet City, it had to do with drugs. You know, everything led to heroin. Everything led to dope, you know. But it had something to do with them screwing around with his girlfriend when they all got high together. Some crazy shit. But that's kind of how the book starts. You know, I, I for me, the way mine's going to start is uh, I, I get out of – I park my car. I, I lived in Astoria. I grew up in Astoria. And I see all my friends hanging out by uh, the pizzeria. So I just pull over and I get out of the car. And uh, it's all my old friends, guys I grew up with my whole life. And I'm like, hey, what's up? What's going on? And I'm like, yo, you really became a cop? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just finished the academy last week. And then I'm like, well, but, but I didn't even get to the end of the row. But all these people started like leaving. <laughs> and by the time I, I, I shook the last hand and I looked around, everybody else was gone. I was like, what the fuck just happened? I'm the same guy. I just, that was it. Everything was gone. That's <laughs> you, you ever see the scene in that movie with Steven Seagal when he goes into the bar with all the Italian guys and he's like, anybody know who killed Bobby Lupo? Yeah, that's what anybody? <laughs> and then he winds up beating up the whole bar. Everybody, yeah, <laughs> but that's that's how it is, man. You go, you know, you grew up with these people, and at some point, like, how, how did you come to take the police test? You know, one of one one of the things that happened was uh, these two guys I used to hang around with. They um, we did this. It's kind of crazy. We did this stupid shit for a guy who was one of Gotti's main guys. This guy Eddie Lino. Uh, one of the, he he needed some machines, some Joker poker machines belonged to him, and they were in a bar that was closed down, and he had all kinds of beef with this guy. So we went and we took the Joker pokers out. Um, expecting to get paid without a problem, and he and Andy Lino was a pretty badass guy, and he he kind of like didn't want to really pay us for doing his job, you know, doing doing uh, I want to say a burglary, even though it was a closed out job, but, but but doing a burglary. And I was like, you know what, this is fucking crazy, man. It doesn't pay to do this shit. And then eventually, the two guys I did the job with, one of them got gets his head within a couple of years. One of them got his head cut off. He was oh, dealing with the Tommy Karate, another mob guy, and with the Colombians, and they end up cutting the head off his head up, comes uh, on the beach over in Brooklyn. And the other guy is a funny story, too. He gets a job working for an armored truck company. I don't know which one. And he has a brilliant idea that they're going to rob the armored truck company, him and other guys, and they do. I, I, this is unbeknownst to me. I, I didn't really wasn't really friendly with him at the time. And they rob the armored truck company, and they get caught, and my friend dropped my friend uh, cooperated on the on his friends, and uh, you know there's no loyalty in that kind of shit, you know. So he sets up the armored car robbery. He gets caught. They get caught, and he drops a dime on the other guys, and he goes in witness protection program. So friends of mine were like dropping like flies. He like you know get killed, going to jail, and you know my old man used to say, take the damn test, take this test, take. And I took the test, and I was like, you know what, that's it. Right? And some of the street shit that I know or the knowledge I picked up, you know, it turned out working out good in the uh, in the police department. Hey, Duty runs on the air. He says uh, to Mike Cologne, great podcast with Bobby V. He's talking about Bobby Valentine. I'm a huge Mets fan. 
I didn't know that uh, Mike Cologne had uh, interviewed Bobby V, but I'm definitely going to check that out. You, guys you, know who, you know who Mike Cologne has on uh, next week? He's got Chief Louis Animo, and he's stealing all our uh, old guests. This guy's copying all uh-huh. our shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, listen. Before I know it, you know, he's subbing for me when I go on vacation. Before I know it, you, I'm going to come back, and Mark's going to say, hey, oh, 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 this kid's good. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm gonna, listen, he's going to do the homework. Uh, he's going to do the research that I usually do before we get to the end of the show. And that was the funny thing about, um, you know, tonight's episode is that when you came on, obviously I had the stuff from the book. And then all of a sudden when I was Googling you, and because, uh, you know, I do like a little background, um, then I'm also seeing this other guy, Mike Adela, but he's from a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school that he owns in Staten Island. And I'm like, all right, now nah, I don't want that guy. So I went back to uh, Mike Adela, NYPD, and then I'm looking at your picture and then I said, just a, for, give me a second. And I went back and I looked at because you look like just like the Brazilian. I'm like, it's the same guy. <laughs> so to have to have those two um, different things going on, it's just amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's kind of sort of like what well, we should all like kind of sort of be like that in a way. Have that um, be able to handle yourself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't hurt. Now look at that. What are you? You're gonna break into that meter right there. Nah, right? he was going. It was. This was right before the Nathan's uh, hot dog eating contest. <laughs> yeah, I think he's waiting that nobody's looking because he's gonna. He's gonna take that parking meter. Yeah, he's gonna break into that meter. He's the guy. He uses uh, mob connections to get rid of that thing. From the movie, uh, was. Uh, Donnie Brasco, they Donnie were breaking Brasco, into parking he's, meters. He's breaking yeah. the thing in the meeting, <laughs> then he freaks out. I remember I was in anti-crime, and this, these guys are going near the phone, and I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Because I couldn't get close enough. They were actually with a crowbar taking the whole phone, and they had like four or five like phones. That, you know, they weighed like 50, 60 pounds yeah. each. They would take them up to a building in Harlem and throw them down six stories. They would break, and they'd take all the change, you know? Hey, you know what? <laughs> I'll give you a story that I know Michael get a kick out of. Um, you know, I grew up in a story, right? And it was a guy in my neighborhood that uh, he got locked up, and they sent him to Rikers Island, and something happened. It was coming around Christmas time. It was something over the phones. So he had a, he, somebody punched him over the phone. What he used to do was he'd buy up everybody's phone time because in the story he was a big deal. So he buy up everybody's phone time and somebody came. He says, yo, I'm up on the phone. And he was like, and he's just throwing the money. And the guy punched him and he put him in the infirmary. So he decided, he came up with a plan to escape from Rikers Island. And he took two people with him. And there was a whole bunch of other people involved, correction officers and all this thing, all these things, right? They gave him a raft. They took the raft <laughs> and they brought it back to Astoria. And they got off there and he called everybody from the... Uh, from Neptune Diner. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. So wow. his whole thing was he used to go to Florida and then he used to come back. Um, Every once in a while, he'd come, but he'd go to, cl- you know, he'd go and he'd hang out with all his own friends. So one night I'm in 1018 and I knew I knew this guy from, you know, he's he my friend from the neighborhood. And I, the, the thing was when he came up to him and you saw him in the club, he'd be like, hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Oh, good to see you. And he goes, Hey, good to see you too, yo. If I catch you by the phone, you're dead. And I'd be like, uh, all right. <laughs> but that was th- because what happened was there was pay. There was a payphone in 1018, 
And if he if he saw you by the phone, he thought you were ratting him out. So whoever came up to him and shook his hand, he'd be like, oh, good to see you. Yo, I love you, man. Yo, if I catch you by the phone, you're dead. <laughs> that was the thing. It was like, if I catch you by the phone, you're dead. <laughs> it was a wild club. 1018 was there, yeah. I used to I used to get right in. There were, we, uh, there's, a, there's a story in the book. There's actually two stories in the book about that club. But uh, the main bad guy that we went after during the uh, when I was in DEA, uh, he he had a you know he was he ran all the heroin down the Lower East Side. Actually, he ran heroin all over, but Lower East Side was all his. All the workers, even the top level guys, answered to him. Even the guys that were driving Bentleys and Mercedes, whatever, they all answered to him. But at some point, the the heroin kind of dried up a little bit, so he was just going to branch out a little bit and. Muscle in on some Colombians over in uh, Roosevelt, Queens. He was, you know, not take their spots. He just knew these Colombians were doing heavy weight, and he was just going to get a percentage of whatever they were moving. Uh, so they had a meet. So he acts. My guy actually kills, uh, or has killed, some of you know one of these Colombian guys. So now they set up a meeting between the main Colombian and and the Lower East Side guy. So the main Colombian guy. Uh, walks into 1018 and he pays off the bouncers. One of who I actually know, I actually knew uh, away from the job, not not a cop obviously, but I actually knew in my private life from a, a gym I used to work at. It. So he pays off these uh, bouncers. The bouncers let all these guys walk in. He had like four or five guys, and and then they lead him, the Colombian, to to the VIP room. My guy, Davey, he comes in with over a hundred people, and he gives them a stack of money. So many people that they couldn't even just walk around the, the metal detector. They actually had to unplug the metal detector and let all these people in. So Danny goes up, Davey goes up into the uh, into the VIP and they're having a discussion or argument. And the Colombian stands up and he gives the nod to his guys, like, show, show him how tough we are and what we could do. And his four or five guys turn around and they, like, flash their gun. My guy gets up. He nods to the club. Now, he brought in 100 guys. Most of them were his workers, but some of them were just guys that he paid off and, you know, from the neighborhood. Come to 1018 tonight, bring a gun, and I'll hook you up. So he had, <laughs> they said he had 100 guys. Four guys tried to scam a little bit. He stands up. He gives the nod. And uh, all the lower east side guys turn around, and they all show their machine guns, handguns, everything. And to make a long story short, the Colombian guy came in with a bottle of teeth. He used to carry teeth around. He used to extract teeth from his victims. To make a long story short, he, he ends up giving my guy, or my guy ends up taking the teeth from him and getting a percentage of the uh, the uh, Colombian's money for, you know, from that point on. <laughs> that was that was the best club in the city for a while. I'm going to tell you something right there. That once, I remember one summer they had a, a, a bikini contest. So... You'd go there, and they'd have this bikini contest, and uh, uh, <laughs> let's just say I, I went through that contest. <laughs> Every girl who competed had a Mark DeMeo experience, one way or the other. And there was one I, that I left off, and I, I didn't think it was possible, and then I, it just worked out. But then she snuck in a window. <laughs> I, I had to bring her home. And I just, I, I, I drove her up because she says she lived on the Upper East Side. So I drove up, up to the Upper East Side, which was Harlem, by the way. 
And then she gets out of the car and I just, you know, just making sure she gets in okay. I'm not getting out of the car. This is fucking, it's the projects. But she jumps in this window on the first floor. I said, all right, it's good. Venus. Her name is Venus. <laughs> hey, Mike, let me ask you something. With all of the stuff going on now with all of these changes and, uh, you know, with the immunity, they just got rid of qualified immunity. And with all the hatred Showing to the New York City police by the city council, do you think narcotics will still still be doing drug warrants? That's a good question. I, I don't honestly. I I don't know. I mean, I know this. You know, I like I said, I got a lot of cops that train with me and they do warrants, but I know they're not doing the numbers they were doing. I mean, and even the DAs are writing warrants up. They don't even want to write the warrants up from what I understand. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, why, if the, if the DAs aren't cooperating and writing these warrants up, why would, and also think of the risks that as a cop, without qualified immunity, you're taking now in doing a search warrant. Yeah, but think about this. They just legalized marijuana in New York State. I know. Crazy. Yeah, no, look, the, the perfect Wait, storm. To show you, that's just the beginning of it. It's no, but the perfect storm of, of doing absolutely nothing is here because if they're going to have people – look, the most dangerous thing is if you're a cop, you lock someone up, and the guy beats the charges or the or the DA's office DPs it, you can now be sued for false arrest. That's what this law means. Um, so how how active are you going to be in in risking your home – your money, your car, your livelihood, your family, you know. I mean, they really, they cut the legs right out of the police department. They I'm telling them. you, drug arrests are a thing of the past. They're not even going to have a narcotic division here. For, well, for the foreseeable future. And then when it's, once it gets crazy, they're going to have to go back on all these things. Because if you see all these other states, what they're doing, uh, it's first legal. Look at Oregon. They the first legalized marijuana, Colorado, and now they legalized every drug. And now they want to legalize prostitution. Right. The only problem is they want to continue to lock up the uh, the sex traffickers. Like, how do you differentiate between two if it's a female? Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you have yeah, to. Yeah. Well, if you noticed in those shootings in Atlanta. They weren't even calling those places sex clubs, which they were. And the woman who was the manager, they called her the manager, not the madam. She was the madam. Yeah, you know what they, I mean? they wanted to stick to that, um, the original thing. Yeah, yeah, the narrative that this was a bias crime, which yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. The guy had, it doesn't, the guy had a sexual problem there. Yeah. <laughs> Shit happens, man. <laughs> you know, listen, that, you got to listen to what the person's telling you. you. We all know this. We've all... To talk to people. So all I am is the uh, the go-between. He told me this. Now you deal with it. Right. To the prosecutor. I asked him why he did it. He told me he did he did it because of this. I give it to the prosecutor. At that point right now, you do whatever you want with it. But that's what he said. So they want to make believe it's something else. That's what the guy said. Yep. My, I, I talk, in the book, I talk about my first... Uh... Drug cop. Well, one of my early cop, drug cops. I was still. This is when I was right out of the academy, basically a rookie in Coney Island. Um, no more with the FTO. I was on my own working with another cop, an older, an older guy, you know, a, a seasoned vet. And I'm on Mermaid Avenue in a in a RMP, and I see a white guy bend down and pick up 
a bottle cap. Now, I, I, I had my friends weren't weren't the greatest. Uh, obviously, weren't the greatest guys in the world. But nobody, I didn't know anybody that had done heroin. Well, I knew guys in my neighborhood that had done heroin, but I had no dealings with them. But I see a guy bend down and pick up a bottle cap. So I tell the, the guy working with me, the older guy, I said, that guy's probably going to go use a bottle cap and shoot it up. Let's go grab him. He's like, and he was a good guy. He was a hard working. Again, he was a vet, but he didn't mind working. And he, he didn't mind working with a young cop and teaching me. So he's like, let's go. So we jump out of the car. We grab the guy. Right away, he's got the bottle cap in his hand. I toss him, and he comes. Up, I come up with a couple of bags, of, a couple of bags of heroin, and a hypo. Now I got to go to the DA's office. Nobody ever told me what to say to the DA's office, to to the DA. Not in the academy. Uh, my FTO was a great FTO. <clears throat> he taught me a lot, uh, but he kind of left this part out. Now I go to the DA's office in Brooklyn. I got this old headbag DA. He tells me, "All right, uh, Mike, what happened?" So I tell him the story just as it happened. I see a guy bend down, pick up a bottle cap. I know he's using it to shoot up. I grab him. He's got three bags of dope and a hypo. How many bags of dope and a hypo? He loses his fucking mind. He said, why? Because you saw him pick up a uh, uh, bottle cap? You knew he was? I said, well, I, I knew. I had a feeling. He had dope on him. I knew. And he stomps out of the room screaming, you better straighten your fucking story up by the time I come back. <laughs> I thought I had the story. That's what happened. <laughs> Sometimes you need somebody to guide you through it. Hey, Bill, uh, can you put up the thing so I can promote? Uh, sure. We're at an hour right now. I want to promote uh, what I got coming up. This is important, me, everybody. If you're a fan of Police Off the Cuff, please do me a favor and try to make it out. I'm recording an album. It's going to be great. It's called The Bangers. All, all my uh, the, the best of. Uh, it's on April 25th. It's a Sunday. We're doing two shows, 7 p.m., 9.30 p.m. It's at the New York Comedy Club on 4th Street. Um, tickets are uh, $25 at the door. If you go on NewYorkComedyClub.com and you put in Mark, just for me, uh, you'll get it for 10 bucks. And uh, this is something that's going gonna, gonna to be great, man. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. There's so many great jokes coming. Uh, a whole body of work. So, yeah, check it out. NewYorkComedyClub.com. Put in Mark for $10 tickets. And uh, there's a 7 p.m. show and a 9 p.m. show on Sunday, April 25th. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And by that point, we've all had our vaccines, so we're healthy. <laughs> Did yeah, you get your second one yet, Mark? Well, yeah, no, I'll tell you what happened. Um, so I'm going to get my shot over here in the Bronx, and I'm driving down the i see uh i see two cops so i pull up next to him i says hey where can we park and the guy looks in the car he goes hey police off the cuff <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells his sergeant he goes look it's it's the guy from police off the cuff so the sergeant looks in and he goes hey what's up what's going on I go, all right yeah that's so great cool man uh, people, you know, I love I love when you like on Facebook or something and they, they announce where the uh, vaccine uh, locations are and all these cops are like, oh, where's the parking? Like, hey, dude, pay for parking. Shut the hell up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to hear where. Like, you, you expect well, like the there, was, there was an area to park, and I was I was. Oh, that, that's there. great, but I mean, I don't to go this way and then yeah. you get out and follow the flag. But just like anything that has to do with the NYPD. So I get they got like just park over here, and then when you get out, follow the flag because there's a flag at the end of the road, right? 
But then when you get to the flag, you got to make a right. And then you got to walk three miles down to your right. And then you got to make a left. And then it's two miles back. It's like, it's just like anything else. It's just like, there's a lot of walking when you're on the job. Everybody can attest to that. <laughs> Bob Geis, every fortune telling parlor Mike went into as an undercover, he was told he had a curse. <laughs> Great undercover. He did it. He could do it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a gypsy problem for a gypsy fortune telling problem for a while in the city. I'm sure it still exists. Yeah, well, remember all the like uh, when you know the city's back to like the 80s. You're gonna see the three card Monty games. Remember those? They were all over the place, right? Yeah, but you're fortune tellers. Yeah. But the ones that he's talking about, like you go by, you're walking around, and then all of a sudden there's like a. This is like a building. They have like an apartment upstairs. So there's like a little window there that they sit in front of. Yep. And she's kind of cute with a, in a really brown hair, dark hair type of way. A little heavy, but very. you can tell she's very soft. And you just think like to yourself, like, um, maybe she'll read more than my fortune. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know something? They would scam people out of thousands of dollars. Well, I remember one time we got the we got the female end of the team, and she was in, and they scammed this lady out of like two grand. So we said, "Have your husband bring the money to the squad, and we'll let you go." So he brings the money, and we're like, "We ain't letting you go." <laughs> but thanks for the money back. We gave it to the victim. You know, that guy was like, "You're lying." We're like, "Dude, you've been scamming people for your whole life. You worried about us lying?" You know. Hey, uh, we're we're over an hour, but I want to ask you. Steve so Cologne, thank you for the nine ninety nine super chat. You just broke the ice, yay! Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I gotta ask you. So, what's your schedule now with like with the like the school? Like, do, how many are you teaching classes? Or yeah, I'm teaching. Uh, I'm there usually uh, four or five days a week. I teach in the morning, and then again in the in the evening. Um, so you're rolling around every day. Yeah, just about. Yeah. How's your body holding up? Beat up. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you, how do you, uh, you, you satisfy that? How do you take uh, feel better? I started doing these uh, cold uh, the Wim Hof the cold showers. Oh, I did. I did the whole. Yeah, I love that. I do the Wim Hof. Like, I, I I decided that I was going to do this uh, thirty day challenge. Today was day twenty six. By the way, I'm gonna give him a cold shower for. Today was seven and a half minutes. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, up. I want to do uh, by the time uh, I get to. I want I want to do ten minutes because I want to be able to one day. My dream is to go and <laughs> spend all, every time I have to go hang out with him for a weekend. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this guy, man. I can't stop. I know, me too. He's great. I dropped like ten pounds already. Uh, like uh, now, I'm, I got a yoga mat here. I'm gonna start doing yoga. Oh, good. <laughs> but I do the breathing techniques first, and then uh, and then I go in there for the for the shower. And I'm so excited, like to to actually go out to the ocean. I just want to wait. A couple of more weeks until it's acceptable because to me it's like all right whatever i'm doing it doesn't really count until i actually get in the water you know like well the cold shower long obviously the longer you're in there the more the colder the water gets so i think the cold shower is actually harder than actually submerging yourself in ice water because it's hitting a different part of your body at all times so it's constantly fucking you up it's not like you could just submerge up to here and be fine just do the breathing it's always fucking it's always like ah, oh, ah. it's never getting any better he says it himself he says it never gets easy no let me tell you something this is 26 days in 
and there hasn't been one day where I was in the mood for it. Every day I'm oh. like, I'm so not in the mood for this right now. I start <laughs> crying to myself. And then I just do it, man. And I don't let me tell you something. I don't put on any warm water first. I go right, I just level it, I redline it, I do my breathing techniques, I get in, and that's it. I, I just do it. But like a minute in, you're okay. Yeah. I told you my son's been doing that for years. Yeah, I know. Now. I spoke to your son on the phone about it. Yeah, yeah. I rave about it. Like I'm never gonna stop doing it. I did the 30 day challenge, but I'm not gonna stop. I'm just gonna keep building. Like, no, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna start with the yoga now. I'm gonna get more involved in meditation. I'm gonna figure it out. Good for you, man. Yeah, what the hell? This is the, listen. We're on a ride right now, bro. Do everything you could. Everything you ever wanted to do, just do it, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at you. You. That's what you did. You know, you, you were a cop. You wanted to write a book. You wrote a book, and then and then like, listen, you 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 can fuck anybody up whenever you want. What <laughs> <laughs> is that? It's the best feeling in the world. What, what Mike, let me ask you something, though. Yeah. Here you are. You're a, what, a third-degree Gracie uh, Jiu-Jitsu black belt, right? Yeah. Do you – I mean, have you ever had to use that against someone that's not a martial artist? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Like in a fight on the street? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It must It must be ugly for that person, huh? Well, you know, like you can actually – the thing about Jiu-Jitsu is you could uh, dominate a guy without – Punching him up, really. Take a guy down and just get on top of him. And really, that's the fight's over. And then they're right. kind of mercy, really. You know, then it's up to how And the person know. just realizes, wow, how did that happen? Yeah, they're, they're over. Because most guys aren't used to having somebody on top of them. And, and somebody on top of them that could stay on top of them and get really heavy on top. So it's right. like the kind of submit and give up and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. because there's a thing where we realize this person knows more than me. Right, like a lot more than me, and they're not even—they're—they're they're being kind to me because apparently I can't move, I can't do what I want to do right now. Right. So you—you learn—you quickly learn to behave yourself and and try. Hopefully, they won't hurt me too much and let me get out of this situation. My son, he, the younger one, he was going to John Jay, and he, he's really a, a mellow kid, really a good kid and quiet. And he accidentally stepped on somebody's a perps, obviously. Sneaker on accident on 58th Street, and the guy went off on him. First, he went off, and my son apologized. Like, look, I apologize. I'm sorry. And he kept going. And my son said, "Look, I'm sorry. You know, that's." And my son kept walking, and he kept going. So my son, who's probably like my size, he's probably about five seven, uh, maybe one sixty, took the took the guy. So what's funny is my son is not intimidating looking at all, and the guy. Pushed him or tried to push him. My son grabbed him, and I says, "I, everybody, the, my son, his body is so hard from training." I said, "That guy, when you grabbed him, he must have shit because you don't look like anything." And then when you when you get held by him, he's so strong. I'm like, he must have shit. And my son picked him up and dropped him, and then got on, literally got on top of him, and the guy started screaming, "I give up! I give up!" And my son said, "Okay, I'm gonna get off." And I said, that's fine. That was perfect. I said, except you don't know these guys in the street. You should you really. The guy gets up, he could have turned around and pulled a knife on him. Right, oh. right. But it really is the great equalizer, though, because it's, um, it, like you said, you, you don't know who you're messing with. So people who, uh, if they have a half a brain in their head, they're not going to really test anybody. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? 
It's not like the old days where you can get away with that, like three punch, throw three punch, and then I'll buy you a beer afterwards. No, it's like you're going to start trouble. You, and all these kids, they all do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you get into a problem with a kid, you're just better off just uh, whatever it is. Yeah, I know. My mother. Yeah. Okay, God bless you. <laughs> I walk away because uh, that, that's a fight I won. I always think about that. The, the fight I, wa- I walked away from, I won that one. That's right. You count those up in my victories. <laughs> well, anyway, listen, we're at 12 after. Um, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, it, it, do you want to go through the list, Bill, of uh, who, who tuned in tonight? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll mention some folks. Um, Christopher Strom, one of our big fans, Pam Leone, Pete and Richella Pranzo, Cat in the Hat. Wow, we got a lot of people here tonight. I got to go. Um, Duty Ron, of course, one of our main fans. Mimi J2, Ryan Investigative Group. Uh, Bob Geis, of course. MC's Audio, one of our biggest fans. He's going to be a substitute host coming up very soon. Um, who we got? Uh, Richella, well, I said Richella. Michelina Serino, thank you for being here. Duty Ron again. Cat in the Hat, Mimi J2. Patty Baker. I think I got pretty much everyone. Steve Cologne, thank you for the 999 super chat. Princess Mitch. And that's I think that's Thomas D- D'Angelo. And I think that's about it. Uh we have some outstanding shows coming up. Um we got another cop, the retired detective from uh I'm, I'm trying to think of his first name. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but he's a Fort Lauderdale cop now. He was smart. He did his retired from the NYPD and went down there and became a Fort Lauderdale cop. And he's living the life. And uh, we're going to talk to him. He's actually another jujitsu black belt. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying. Why I can't I think of his name right now? Anyway, great guy. He's going to be on the show. And of course, the show that I've been looking forward to for a long time is the one with um I'm gonna find I'm gonna find his name. Carlito Fognoli. He's a he's a Fort Lauderdale cop. He was a cop in street crime. Uh and then he went down to Fort Lauderdale and he's he's doing great down there. And he's as I said he's a jujitsu black belt. And on the um on the sixth of April I have Tommy Dades uh the first grade detective mob expert. He wrote the book uh, friends of the family. He helped put away the mob cops at Polito and Caracapa. And then we have Larry Mazza on the same show, a made guy from the Colombo crime family. And believe it or not, Tommy Dades and Larry Mazza are great friends. So it should be yeah. an interesting show, you know? Yeah. Well, that's great that that, that worked out. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so the line between uh, the two worlds is, is um, it's, it's so thin. It really is. It just goes to show you. We we just talked. Uh, we told them a whole, whole bunch of stories tonight about how you grew up in Brooklyn. You know, a couple blocks away from this this club that was in Goodfellas and all the kids you grew up with. And I grew up the same way over here. Uh, you know, in Astoria. And Bill, you know, Bill, Bill was in uh, you know Long Island. <laughs> yeah, they used to call it East Cupcake, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> all, these, all these little Maytaggers from the academy had the balls he had to a call any place, East a Cupcake or North Cupcake. We're like, Dick, you're in the academy. Are you kidding me? Bill got a car my rack in a few years, you know? <laughs> Bill, what was the car that you got when you graduated high school? What was the card? The car, the car that your parents I gave didn't you. get a car. Are you kidding me? I need kids in my family. I got a size 10 and a half sneaker, Converse. <laughs> yeah, you're Converse right. Converse you Store. Bill came from a big family. <laughs> All right. Well, we had a great time. Hey, anything you want to plug? Uh, no, I'm good, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, it was fun, man. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I was so excited. You, you were everything that I thought you were going to be. Um, keep kicking ass, doing your thing out there. If you're in Staten Island, go visit the uh, Cadella Academy. Yeah. Uh, I wish I was closer to you. I'm in the Bronx, though. Oh, uh, yeah. If you want to throw a big guy around, man, let me know. <laughs> I'll call Bill, and you can throw Bill around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things, Mike, my, my son used to, was a pretty good high school wrestler, and he, he used to take jiu-jitsu. And a lot of times, jiu-jitsu guys would have a hard time with a wrestler. Yes. You know? Yeah. Even the instructor, he took his instructor down. The instructor wasn't happy, but he was like, "Shit, that was good that you that you know how to do that." You know, it's funny about the um, the UFC and what it is exposed, and that is, you know, you got jujitsu, and then all of a sudden the wrestlers became the best ones. Yeah, and then when we're both equal on the ground, via wrestling or jujitsu. We're going to stand the whole time because there's no point in getting on the ground. We're just going to waste a whole bunch of time there. <laughs> so then now all of a sudden you see all these people and who's the best striker. Right. It's not because they're the best striker. It's the best striker out of the two because they can't go on the ground because they equal each other out. Right. So it's so, it's so weird the way it worked out. But uh, we had an exciting card this past weekend with the new heavyweight champ over there. I, I keep track of it, man. God bless you, man. You know, like I, I, I could tell, man, you're the real deal. Thanks for coming on with us tonight, man. Thanks, you're always welcome back, man. Mike, if I if I ever make it into Staten Island, which for me is like going to Europe, I'll <laughs> uh, I'll look you up. <laughs> Listen, man, once the clubs open back up, me and you, we're gonna go out night in town. Yeah, you know, we're, gonna fights. we're gonna mess people up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna start some fights and let you. <laughs> That's <laughs> great, right? Don't you hate that guy? I'm bringing Mike friend? with me, and we're going to start some Mike. fights at a club. <laughs> Mike, didn't you have a best friend like that when you grew up? He always started fights, and you had to fish him? <laughs> I had a friend like that. His name is Paul. <laughs> oh, how many yeah. fights did I have to finish with this fucking guy? Anyway, thank you guys for tuning in tonight. This was a great episode. I had a lot of fun. Um, please, uh, what do we got coming up, Bill? Well, uh, Monday we have Carlito Foggs from the Fort Lauderdale cop that we retired from the NYPD. What? Today's Monday. What are you talking about? I'm What's sorry, uh, a week from Monday. Thir what about Thursday? Who we got Thursday? Yeah, that's a good question. Who do we have Thursday? I'm looking. Hang on. I'll tell you who we have Thursday. You just fucked me up because I was like, today's Thursday? No, April 1st is, th is Thursday, and that's Carlito Foggs. All right, good. Right, there we go. All right. And then uh, and after that, we're supposed to have Patty Lynch coming on. Oh, that's good. PBA good. president on Monday the fifth. Oh, man, we're getting bigger. We're getting older. So far, he hasn't confirmed, but he I think I think he's gonna confirm and uh, we'll have Patty Lynch on. And uh, if he doesn't confirm, I'm gonna send uh, 
Mike there to the PBA office <laughs> with a couple of his students. <laughs> you just look like you're ready to roll right now. <laughs> Thanks for coming on with us, Mike. I hope you had a good time. We loved having you, man. For all you Police Off the Cuff fans, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you soon.